jump in this morning. So uh, this, we're in a series called David, Flawed Human, Holy God, okay? So David is a guy in the Scripture. He wrote half of the book of Psalms, but his story is told in First and Second Samuel. Uh, there's mention of him in, in Kings and then also in Chronicles, and he gets referenced throughout the entire Bible. There's more written about David than there is about any other biblical character, okay? We, we actually learn more about this guy, David, than any other person in the whole Bible. And David was somebody who, he exemplified this real and authentic faith in God, but he also was a very flawed person, very flawed. And, and so we get to see God's interaction with a very real human being. And just before we get all critical on David, because sometimes talking about David can be a little controversial because some of the things he did were just absolutely horrendous. As a leader, there was toxicity in his leadership. He displayed very poor leadership at times. Uh, but David is this reminder to us of our own flaws. Uh, and if you're an honest person, you don't get too far down the road of criticizing somebody before you realize your own flaws, okay? Um, I've been talking about parenting a little bit with people, and one of the things that uh, happens when you're growing up is you learn all these things that your parents are doing that you don't like, right? And you're like, man, I'm going to do things differently. My kids are here. They, can, they, can, uh, they probably would vouch for this. And so you, you grow up, and you're like, oh, I, don't, I didn't like that. I'm going to do things differently. And then you become a parent, and you realize my kids are going to have to go to counseling, okay? <laughs> so, like, I'm flawed as well, right? And so we joke about that um, at our home. And so this flawedness is something that we all can relate to. But the, the beauty and what, what I believe God wants to reveal to us in His Word is that He interacts with people. And He meets David amid his flaws. And it's a really beautiful story of God's interaction with this flawed human being. And there's a lot for us to learn in that. So we're going to look at the story of David and Goliath today. You're probably all familiar with this. This is like, so David is the person whose story is told more than any other in the biblical story. And this story in particular, David and Goliath, is probably the most famous, other than Jesus' death and resurrection, the story of David and Goliath is probably the most famous story of the Bible. Okay? We, we live in, a, a, in a, a place right now where it's increasingly biblically illiterate. And so even though a lot of people would know, you know, the general details of David and Goliath, probably a lot of people wouldn't even necessarily know it's in the Bible, <laughs> okay? Uh, but the, this story in particular, uh, there is a lot for us to see in it. But what I want to point out to you is that, so it's the story of David and Goliath, and before I read it, I want you to notice something, because we're going to read this extended story. David is the only person who sees clearly in this whole story. So last week's sermon, we talked about God's eye view. What was it that God could see that was different than the prophet Samuel and everybody else in the story? When, and we talked about the time when God chose David to be the next leader. And we talked about God's eye view. God sees differently than men and women see. When God looks for the next leader, he chooses based on different criteria than what we would normally look for. It was God's eye view. This week, we're going to look, David sees clearly, okay? He's the only one in this story that sees clearly. So, uh, and I, last week I talked about um, 
you know, reminding us of when we were in middle school and high school and, and you were being chosen for a sports team and, and you had two captains and, and they would stand in front of a crowd and they would pick people, right? And we talked about how awkward that was and you're waiting because you, you might be the last person picked and that would be really awkward. And I made a comment about how I wasn't like a super athletic person, but I wasn't super non-athletic. Uh, well, this began going to open the story uh, about seeing clearly. So when I was in grade eight, I was in middle school and I tried out for the softball team and I was like right on the cusp of making the softball team, okay? And so it came down to the last tryout, and I knew that the coach was choosing between me and another guy. His name was Carson Chan, okay? And Carson was, like, far more athletic than me, definitely more popular. And, and we are both trying out for this to make the softball team in grade 8. And for whatever reason, on tryout day, I just showed up. Like, I was, like, there was, I remember the coach was, was standing um, at, the, at home plate, and he hit the ball, and it was, like, a line drive to third base where I was standing, and, and I don't think it was because I was, like, athletically inclined. I think it was because I was afraid of my nose being broken, but I caught this, like, line drive so quick, and the coach was like, man, good catch, Nathan, and I caught a nice pop fly out in the outfield, and, and for whatever reason, on that tryout day, I just, I showed up, and I made the team, and Carson didn't, but then when game day happened, okay, so we were out playing games, I just was, I was actually terrible, okay? And the way, and the way that the season went, um, the coach decided to bring Carson Chan onto the team, and he played way more than I did that year, okay? I have, like, vivid memories of just sitting in the dugout, wishing that I could be out there playing and watching my team, and my coach is like, you should have a better attitude and be cheerful for your players. And I was just like, well, I'm not playing, and I'm mad about it, right? Um, but one of the, the reason I'm telling the story is I remember being out, and it was one of the games the coach let me play, and he put me out in the outfield somewhere, and my teammates knew I wasn't a great uh, player for catching pop flies, okay? And uh, anyway, I was, I was in the outfield, and the guy that was at bat, he hit the ball, and it was this great big pop fly, and, and my teammate, who knew my limited ability and my lack of depth perception, he watched me running for this ball, and he just knew I was going to run past where the ball was landing. You ever done that for a pop fly? Where you like, your depth perception's off and you run way up and then all of a sudden it's over your head. And so I remember I ran up and I was all excited. I'm like, I'm going to prove to these guys that I can, you know, I'm as good as Carson Chan and, and I'm, I'm going to make this like, I'm going to make this statement. And so I ran up and then I realized, and it was too late by the time I realized it, the ball just like went sailing over my head. And I look back and my teammate who just thought I was a loser, he just like catches the ball and just kind of like shakes his head at me, <laughs> right? And, uh, and so I'm like super embarrassed by that. But my, my vision was off, right? And in preparation for this, this sermon, I looked up Major League Baseball uh, uh, videos where, where Major League Baseball guys missed pop flies, and, and it made me feel a little better, okay? I was like, you know what? These guys are paid millions of dollars, and so, I mean, if they're missing the ball, then that's not so bad. But the video, you can look up these compilation videos. What happens sometimes in the Major Leagues is that th- the guys will come up for a pop fly, and the sun is so bright in their eyes, they can't see anything. And so you've got these multi-million dollar players running up to catch the ball, and, I, and one of the videos had two guys, and they're up there, and, and they're looking up, and all of a sudden, they just can't see anything, and the ball just falls down in between them, right? Um, so it's comforting for a guy like me who's still working through the trauma of being, you know, embarrassed on my grade eight softball team. Um, but what the, the, what's, what's going on there was that these guys' vision was skewed, okay? So it, it would have been easy for them to catch that pop fly, but the sun in their eyes made it so they couldn't see the ball that was coming down at them. And you're going to see something similar 
in this story. So what I want to draw your attention to as we read the story of David and Goliath, David is the only one who doesn't have the sun in his eyes, okay? He's the only one who's got clear vision, okay? And if we're tracking with this analogy, the sun is Goliath, okay? You're going to see in the story, there's a guy named Goliath who everybody is absolutely terrified of, and David is the only one who sees clearly. His vision is not skewed. He sees reality for what it is. He sees what is really happening. He sees what's really going on, whereas everybody else's vision is skewed, and they're not seeing reality. And we don't usually read this long of a uh, a text, but this story is so well told, okay? So we're going to read in 1 Samuel chapter 17 the story of David and Goliath, and we're going to read the whole chapter, and you can follow along. Uh, the slide will be behind me. Um, but it's a really, really well told story, and there is a lot in here. If you get nothing from what I say, there's a lot in here just in the text itself. And so I'm just going to pray that we'll hear the Lord this morning, but specifically that God will help us to see clearly the way we see happening in this story. So let's pray and then we'll, we'll read this, this story. Lord, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you, God, that you've actually given us your word for a purpose. Ultimately, it's to point us to Jesus, what he's done for us. We, we realize that in the whole scripture, everything points to Jesus. He's, he's the high point of it all. But in all of these stories, we, we encounter people that remind us of ourselves in some way. And we, we encounter stories and situations that remind us of our own story and our own situation. So, Lord, as we read this today, help us to hear you clearly. And I pray that you would remove even the blinders from our eyes and that you would help us to see clearly. For some reason, David was able to see clearly. He had this, this big vision, this view of you that helped him to see reality different than how everybody else around him saw it. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be able to see clearly as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So 1 Samuel chapter 17 and, and just so you know, David's going to make a comment in here. He's going to say of Goliath, he's going to say, he's going to call him an uncircumcised Philistine. And when I said that, I quoted that verse last week and I heard some snickers. Um, and I, I was wondering if everybody understood why David said that. You need to know that before I read this. And so the, the people of, of God in the Old Testament, the Jewish people, the, the thing that marked them was circumcision, okay? Um, and, and, and thankfully today, you don't have to go and do that, okay, when you become a follower of Jesus. But you're going to hear David say something, um, and when, when he says those words, when he says this, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He's saying, what he's saying in that uh, part of the story is he's saying, like, who is this person who's not been devoted to God? He's not a follower of God. He doesn't know Yahweh, the real God. Why does he think he can stand up against him? Uh, so that's, that's what's going on in there. So uh, starting in verse 1, chapter 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah, in Ephes Demim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and they drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the, side, on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span, so somewhere up over nine feet. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, 
and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So Goliath stands between these two armies and he says, let's make this simple. Let's not let our armies fight and have, you know, countless casualties. Just send somebody who's brave enough to fight me. If I kill him, then you guys will be our servants. But if he kills me, then we'll serve you. And so nobody in Israel wanted the pressure to go and face this giant Goliath. They were absolutely terrified. Verse 12, now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem and Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening, just taunted the Israelites for 40 straight days. And Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also, take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was crying out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. And so just notice, David hears differently than everybody else around him heard. And it was because David could see something that no one else could see. That's, that's really key to this story. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him and they were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches, and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? This is important. David is aghast. He's like, this guy, he's not just standing against, against us, like he's defying God Almighty. And so David's just aghast. He's like, who, who does this? Who's got enough gumption? Who's got enough stupidity, is what David's saying, to stand against God? It's one thing to stand against people and to use your size to intimidate other people. But what David realizes is happening is he's like, Goliath is actually, he's standing against God, the creator of heaven and earth. And David said, and then um, in verse 28, now Eliab, his oldest brother heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. This is really important. He said, why have you come down, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? 
I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. So, so David's older brother hears David respond with courage, and he looks at David and he says, who's taking care of those little sheep that you've got in the wilderness? Like he just talks down to him. He condescends to David, right? And, and, then, he, and then he questions David's motives. He's like, you're just being arrogant and prideful and presumptuous, right? This is important. Hang on to that. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. David's speaking from experience. He's going, God has been with me my whole life. He's never failed me. He's never let me down. He's always been there. Why would he stop now? And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. And then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. David didn't have confidence in himself, but he had a lot of confidence in God. He said, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, the Lord will deliver you, and I will, and this is pretty graphic, okay, so this next part is PG-14, so if you're not comfortable with anything past PG-14, you can close your ears. David gets pretty graphic here with what he says to Goliath. He says, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground." Some of the details of this, when this is told to children, do get left out, uh, by the way, in, in uh, Sunday school. But you just like, the way this is described, so David uses this sling, which was, he was very accurate with. The scriptures say that the stone sunk into the forehead of this Goliath, this, this giant Goliath. But Goliath wasn't quite dead yet. 
So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran, stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the, pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put his armor in his tent. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him, brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. It's a really powerful story and a really well-told narrative. It's one of the best uh, places in the Scripture where you find a narrative that's, that's that long with that much detail. And there's a lot in here that uh, we can learn about who God is, but also about who we are. And so, in this, uh, I'm going to put a slide up. Oh, it'll come up in the, oh, there it is. Okay. So, I want you to, to see this, okay? So, um, by the way, one and two go together and three and four go together. But David, in this story, there's four things he sees. He sees God. He sees the problem, okay? He sees Goliath. So, those, the first two go together. David sees himself. And this is something that uh, I'm hoping that the Lord is going to speak to hearts today because I think this is something that's really applicable to you and I in how we follow God, in how we encounter God. David sees himself, and then he sees what needs to be done. And, and those two things, three and four, go together as well. But in that, that first, the first thing David sees in this story is that David sees God. I'm going to put a quote up that uh, I've used a couple weeks ago, and I'm going to use it again throughout this series because it's, I, I just, I really believe that there's some truth in this that we need to take into our lives. And so Leslie Newbegin, he says, if the biblical story is not the one that really controls our thinking, then inevitably we shall be swept into the story the world tells about itself. If the biblical story is not the one that controls our thinking, if the story of Scripture that God has revealed to us isn't the one that's in your mind and heart, then what you're going to believe is you're going to believe the story that the world tells about itself. And so what we see in David, David had this, this view of God that nobody else around him had. So we, when we read the story, when, when all of the other uh, warriors in Israel heard and saw Goliath, Goliath was all that they could see, right? Goliath was the thing that was dominant in their, their vision, in their view. Like those major league baseball players, when they're running up to catch the ball, they, they couldn't see the ball because all they could see was the sun. But the reality was that the ball was there all along. It was an easy catch if, if, if their vision wasn't being impeded. And similarly, Goliath, he's standing there, and he's challenging, and he's threatening. Everybody's afraid. They're all terrified. And you know what was going on? Was that the rest of the Israelites, those warriors, God's story was not the dominant story in their mind. 
You know what the dominant story in the mind of most of the Israelites at David's time was? The dominant story in their mind was just whatever they picked up from the culture that was going on around them. Do you know what happens in in our lives? And I'm not, by the way, I'm not going to be critical of if you watch Netflix or movies or or listen to radio. I watch Netflix. I watch movies. But I I want you to, to be aware of something. If, if the story of the Scriptures is not the story that fills your mind and heart, you're going to pick up what you perceive as truth from what the culture around you tells you. And so if the dominant story in your mind is not the story of Scriptures, not God, you're, you're going to pick up things that you learn from movies you watch, from music you listen to, from the books you read, magazines, radio interviews, that stuff just fills your mind and heart to the point where that's the story you believe. And then when you encounter a Goliath, when you encounter this enemy that's coming against you, you're you're intimidated, you're afraid, you're fearful, because your view of God is like, it's limited. But you know what the reality is, is that God is who He is. God is all-powerful. He is the creator of the universe. He has made everything. When you know God, when you've got this vision of God, and then you face a challenge, the challenge doesn't look as big Because you're aware of this God who is awesome and all-powerful and always there and ever-present. You know, if you've ever just just looked around at the world around you and you, like, you know, just see evidences of God, like the fact that everybody's got a different fingerprint, everybody's got different and unique DNA. Of all the billions of people that have ever existed in the world, everybody has a DNA that's unique to them. You know that, you know what I mean when, uh, when I use the term gait? You know what gait is? G-A-I-T. It's like the way you walk, right? Some people are like, right, or whatever. I saw Kiva after, we were bowling the other night, and uh, after a good shot, just to like, right? <laughs> like the ga- but gait, okay, do you know that scientists have figured out a way that they can, they can tell who a person is by their gait? Because of all the billions of people in the world, everybody has a unique gait, and so when they're doing discovery, so like in airport, when they're looking to, um, to, to identify people, gate is like 99.7% accurate for, dis- for, for identifying a person. Like stuff like that, I'm like, we, we serve this, this God who is absolutely genius in his creation, absolutely mind-blowing in the stuff that, that he does and comes up with. And when you know him and then you face a challenge, you go, well, that doesn't even compare to my God. And this isn't to minimize, by the way. Some of us go through challenges and difficulties that are actually overwhelming, and and I'm not encouraging in any way to sweep that stuff under the rug and pretend it doesn't exist. But one of the biggest antidotes, one of the biggest healings that that you will experience in your own heart and mind to, to the challenges that you face is just the awareness of the bigness, the grandeur of God. That's what David saw. So while all of his comrades were were terrified and shaking in their boots, David had this courage because he goes, nobody's allowed to speak to God that way. Like David realized, this guy's not just attacking me and my, my fellow warriors. Like he's standing against the living God. And David knew something that no one else knew. He says, nobody can stand against God Almighty and get away with it. David saw something different. You know, and it's important to notice too that this story, a lot of times it gets interpreted as being kind of all about David, and, and our takeaway from it is like, well, what are your giants? And just like David faced his giant, we need to face our giants. Well, this story is about something so much bigger. There's like God's story of redemption is at play here. 
God was concerned with all of what was going on in Israel. He was concerned with His people. He was concerned with redeeming His people, setting them free from slavery. And David tapped into that. He, he was able to see God's will at play. And because he could see that, he was able to see with, with clarity. He saw God. I'm going to read first six verses of Psalm 19 again. And again, this is repetition. I'm hoping that as we go through this series, there's some things that stick out in your mind and heart. We, we read this, um, this psalm a couple weeks ago. I'm just going to read the first six verses of it. But listen to David's description of God's creation. He says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. The voice, listen, he's talking about the voice of God. He says, The voice goes out through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In them, He, God, has set a tent for the sun, which comes out which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from his heat. You know, David, when, when everybody else was just shaking in their boots in fear of Goliath, that, that's all they could see. David was like, that guy's making you afraid? It's like, it's God that he is defying. And he had this big vision of God and who he is. Dude, do we have that big vision of God? You know, I want to apply this to, to right now. Today, being a Jesus follower and a Christian and, and standing on God's word as truth is less and less popular. It's challenging. But you know that the scriptures, and, and Cameron shared his testimony so well and so vulnerably. He talked about some of the things he was addicted to, like like pornography. You know, the, the, the world's way of talking about sex is just so flippant. You know, there's a show that Vicky and I watch. There was a scene in it the other day, and they were talking about sex in a very casual way. And uh, these, these two ladies were having a conversation, and um, both of them had had multiple sex partners, and they were talking about the next one. And the comment was, well, it's just sex. Like, what's the big deal? And, and I remember hearing that, and because God's story is the one that, that I listen to intently with all of my heart, I was like, I, I knew that what I was picking up from that show was very different from what God teaches in His Word. The Scriptures teach that sex is sacred. The Scriptures give instruction about marriage between a man and a woman. They, they, they paint this picture of sex that, that is like, it was created by God. It was this, it's this holy thing. It's not, it's not just sex. It's not just flipping. It's not just something that you, you kind of whimsically do. But that, that teaching, that belief is, is seen in a lot of ways today as just dangerous, right? And there's this, and, and you're, you're aware of it, there's all these different thoughts and there's all these different ideologies that we're exposed to in Canada and in, you know, lots of other places, but our context is Canada, where it just feels like if I, if I actually take serious what God teaches in His Word, like I'm going to be seen as, as maybe dangerous or backwards in my thinking or, or hateful or whatever it is. And it feels like there's this, there's this Goliath that the church is facing, right? And, and there's a lot of people, and I know lots of people, that, that are afraid about the future of the church in, in Canada, in North America, they're afraid about where things are going. They're afraid about some of the things that we're facing in culture. And you know what I believe this story points us to? 
is that if, if we learn anything from it, David, when he saw what everybody else was afraid of, when he saw Goliath, the reason he wasn't afraid was because he had this, this big view vision of God where he's like, these people aren't attacking me. They're standing against God. God, God has big shoulders. God can defend himself. When God looks at Goliath, God is not like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do with a nine-foot man? <laughs> well, I, I, I imagine Goliath was probably like, he was about nine and a half feet, probably 500 pounds with his, all of his armor, like probably over that. Like he was an, an intimidating-looking foe, an intimidating-looking giant. But when God sees Goliath, he's not afraid. And you know what else is interesting in this is that uh, sometimes we take stories like this and we make it personal. So I'm, I'm talking about the church today and how, you know, in, in, for a lot of people, they're afraid of where things are going uh, in our country and what it means to stand on the truth of Scripture in regards to some things. And, and there's lots of fights, isn't there? We see people that claim to stand on biblical truth and they're mean-spirited in how they go about it, and critical, and they're demeaning, and, and they talk down to other people, and then the same thing comes back, and it's all these fights amongst, amongst humans. But do you know, what's, you know what this story points us to? Is that this, this Goliath, like Goliath was a person in that story, but Goliath was also just like, he was an ideology. He was this, he was this idea. He was this thing that was big in the minds of the people. And what truth does is it takes down any false imagination, any false ideology that stands up against God Almighty. I just want to say as, as, an, as an encouragement to you today, if you're a follower of Jesus and you wrestle through some of the things that God has said in the Scriptures and you're, maybe you're afraid to, to stand on it or you're afraid to, to trust it wholeheartedly, I want to encourage you, like, look at the bigness, the beauty, the grandeur of God and let that be what gives you courage. David was courageous because he saw how big God is. He realized the battle does not fall on his shoulders. And you know what's amazing from the story? Everybody else is afraid to go face Goliath because they're like, well, if I lose, all of Israel is going to be in slavery. The reason David wasn't afraid was because he knew he wasn't fighting his own personal battle. He wasn't, he wasn't going and standing up for his opinion. He wasn't just offended personally and he was fighting for his opinion. He was like, no, I'm going to stand on the reality and truth of who God is. He had this big massive view and vision of God. That's why he could say in, in 1 Samuel 17, 45, he's, he stands before Goliath and he says, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. David looked at all the weapons Goliath had, which everyone else was afraid of. He was like, like th- th- those are all human weapons. What's that going to do against God? What's that going to do against the creator of the universe, the one who invented DNA, who gave everybody a different uh, fingerprint, who made sure all the different, many billions of people in the world have a different gait when they walk? Like, look at the beauty, the grandeur, the, the bigness of God. David wasn't intimidated. And I think for us today, as we follow Jesus wholeheartedly, that we've got to realize this the battle that we're in or when we face, you know, situations where we feel intimidated or we face a Goliath where we realize, like, I'm standing with God. And when we have a big vision of who He is, there's no need to shake in fear. Secondly, and, and the second, um, second one is actually the third and fourth, okay? So David sees himself, and, and I want you to catch this. 
there will always be an Eliab, David's older brother, so somebody who questions your motives. When you're standing for God, when you're going to go and do the thing God's asking you to do, you'll always have an Eliab, the older brother that questions your motives and says you're just arrogant, okay? And there will always be a Saul, somebody that you're tempted to emulate, somebody who's larger than life, that, that you're, you want to do the things that they say and you feel pressure to do that, okay? There will always be those two, okay? So Eliab, David's older brother, in verse 28 It says, Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, why have you come down, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Eliab is David's older brother. And so when David has courage in his heart, and he responds with faith, he's accused of being presumptuous, prideful, arrogant. When you take a stance for God, there will always be somebody that accuses you of having wrong motives, of being arrogant. This, this story is not in the Scriptures by accident. This is something that all of us face. So David, he did have faith in God. He was courageous. But then he's accused by, by his older brother, somebody that knew him well, of just being arrogant. And he's reminded of his smallness. He's, Eliab says to David, you've got a few sheep you take care of off in the wilderness. Us uh, older brothers have important work to do, you know, fighting the battle with Saul and the rest of the Israelites. So just go back and do that thing that you're, you're not, you know, that's that unimportant thing. He just talked down to David. When God calls you to stand for something and you feel courage and faith in your heart, there will always be an Eliab to question your motive. And the question is, is, is when that question comes, does that cause you to crumble? Or are you reminded like, no, my faith is in God. It's not in myself. David wasn't self-confident. He was God-confident. And then with Saul, Saul tries to get David to wear his armor, right? Remember that in the story? You know what's interesting about this? When, when we were introduced to Saul back a few chapters ago, the, the Scriptures tell us that Saul he stood a head taller than everybody else. Where's, where's Matthew? He's like, okay, Matthew stands a head taller than everybody else, okay? So, so if there was a Goliath, like if we walked outside of the doors today and there was this great big guy that was saying, I want one person to fight, the natural choice would be Matthew, okay? <laughs> Matthew stands, he's a head taller than the rest of us. He's a healthy guy. He's fit. He would be the natural choice, okay? Matthew, you go fight the giant out there. I mean, you're, you're taller than everybody else in the room, so you can probably handle it. And I've heard stories of Matthew. He's, you don't want to mess with him, okay? <laughs> you don't want to mess with that guy. But so that's like Saul. You know, what's interesting about Saul is he, he does have this mammoth reputation, okay? He, he's like the first king of Israel. He united Israel. Um, God used him in some pretty powerful ways. But what's interesting is Saul... He doesn't volunteer to go fight Goliath, even though he, he should have been the one that signed up for the job. Because not only is he a head taller than everybody else, he's also the king. He's also the one that was given charge of taking care of Israel. And he doesn't volunteer. But, so he doesn't, he holds back. And then when David volunteers to go fight Goliath, Saul tries to get David to put on his armor. And you know what's powerful from the story, and this is where this is application is real for us. There will always be a Saul in your life that you're tempted to compare yourself to. So when God calls you to something, something important, something that requires faith, you know what's going to happen in your mind? You're going to have somebody 
that you think of, that you compare yourself to, that maybe you're like, I can't do it as well as them. Or, you know, they they said to go about things this way and you're trying to emulate them in some way. You know that David put on Saul's armor and he just wasn't comfortable with it. And, and he's like, you know what, I, I can't do this. He, he realized, I don't need to emulate Saul. Even though Saul was the most influential person in all of Israel at the time, David realized he wasn't comfortable following in this guy's footsteps. You know, I've said this before, and I know it's something that all of us can relate to, but in my role as a, as a pastor, I, I love reading books of other pastors, listening to other communicators. And I find it so tempting to compare myself to others, especially people that I look at and go, I, I am nowhere near uh, as good or effective um, as they are. And it's really easy to let that sink in. But you know what's easy is to try to emulate somebody because you're trying to be like that person because you're not confident enough in who God has called you to be. You know what we see in David? There's this wisdom that God has given David. He gets Saul's stuff on and there's the pressure because I'm, I'm, I'm sure all of Saul's counselors, everybody's all standing around while David's putting on Saul's armor and Saul's putting this pressure on him to go face Goliath with, with his own armor because Saul said to him, you're just a youth. Like, what do you think you can do? And so David just, you know, puts on all this stuff and there's all this pressure to go and be like Saul. But David knew in himself, he's like, that's not who I am. David was aware of who God had called him to be. And the question for us now, like, are you aware of who God has called you to be? Like, forget about the leaders that have gone before you. Forget about the people you compare yourself to. Forget about how much better they are, right? We have those thoughts in our mind. Forget about all that. Like, do you, are you aware of yourself? The, the thing in, in this story, David, it's like David just has this, he sees himself. He sees who God has called him to be, and he's confident in it. I think for all of us, we could use some of that sight like David had, where he just did not give in to the pressure to go and emulate someone else. He didn't give in to the pressure to, you know, focus his attention on what God was doing or had done through somebody else. And how often have you and I done that? And you know what? It stops us from doing the thing God's called us to do. I think there's some people here in this room that God has given you specific mission, specific calling, specific things He wants you to do, and you've got other people in your mind that you compare yourself to. You've, you're like, well, I'm not as good of uh, fill-in-the-blank as so-and-so. As so. Like, don't do that. If God's given you something recognize like who he's called you to be. It's going to be different than the ones that have gone before you and go with confidence because you're not confident in yourself. David wasn't confident in himself. He was confident in God, but he saw himself. He realized that he was not like those that had gone before him. And some of us here need to have that same realization and give ourselves even permission to go and be exactly who God has called us to be. So David, here's the four things again, okay? So he sees God which means he sees the problem and the challenge he saw Goliath. His view of God was so much bigger than the problem, okay? He sees himself, so he's aware of his own giftedness, his own abilities, the way he hears from God, and he realizes that the way he does things, the way he operates is very different than those that have gone before him. It's not like his older brother Eliab. It's not like Saul. It's not like anybody he's ever seen, but he sees himself. He's aware of who God has called him to be, and he's confident in that, okay? And then he sees what he needs to do. Do you know that I'm convinced 
that if we see God, if we see the bigness, the grandeur, the beauty of God, if we have a picture of who He is, then the problem before us becomes a lot more clear. And if we see ourselves, if you become confident in who God has called you to be, the way you hear from God, the way you connect with Him, the way you walk out in faith, you will, it'll become clear to you the next steps for you to take. You realize that? Like, there are some of us that are in this room right now that God has some next steps for you to take. And, and the problem is that may, maybe your view of God is too small, so the problems look huge, but maybe you're also just aware of your own weaknesses and your own flaws or who, who you're not like. And if you can come before God and say, God, forgive me. Forgive me for thinking I've got to be like somebody else. Forgive me for comparing myself to these other people. Help me to actually see who you've called me to be. And when God works that out in your heart, it becomes really clear to you what next steps are yours to take. I want to close this by pointing to Jesus. This, this story uh, oftentimes just gets misused. Okay, so the, sometimes the main point of the story is like, well, you're David, who's your Goliath? Okay, and there's, there's some of that in there. Maybe you see some things you need to face and God's encouraged your heart through this story. But there's a bigger story. Do you know who the perfect David is? It's Jesus. Like Jesus is, like Jesus is the one that this story of David points to. You know that the Goliath, you know what Jesus faced was Jesus faced the biggest foe, the biggest enemy, the enemy of death. You know, the scriptures tell us um, that uh, it was when we rebelled against God, humanity rebelled against God, there's this, there's this curse that came upon humanity, and, and the result of the curse is death. And all of us, every single one of us, is aware of the immediacy of death, that it could happen at any moment. And it's a scary thought. And Jesus is the one this story points to, because Jesus comes, He faced death head on. Jesus gave up His life for us. He defeated, He conquered death. Jesus says, if you put your trust, your faith in me, you're, you're forgiven of, of, of sin, you're forgiven of wickedness, I will fill you with my spirit, and I will give you hope of eternal life. Jesus is the, he's the perfect David. He's the one that conquered the real enemy. And when our faith is in him, we are at peace, we are secure. I'm going to invite the team to come up, and uh, we're going to close with um, a song uh, about how God is the one that fights the battle. And just as we're singing this song, if the Lord has spoken to you through what we're talking about today, uh, I just encourage you during this song to even have a conversation with Him about it. I want to ask you, do, do you see clearly? Do you see God? Do you see His story? Do you see His truth? Do you have a view of God that absolutely captivates you? Do you see yourself? Like, do you see who God's called you to be? Do you see the things that He's called you to step into? Maybe the, the ministries He's called you to step into, um, the, the faith ventures He's called you to step into. Do you have those things become clear to you? Is your, is your view, to go back to the, how we started this, is it impeded by anything? Like, do, do you not see clearly because there's something in front of your eyes that is not of God? Is your view impeded in some way? And, and if it is, as you meditate on this and as you spend time with Jesus in prayer, ask Him to make that clear so that you see who He is with clarity, but also who He's called you to be and what it means to say yes to Him 
and to step into the, the calling that he has for your life. I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll sing this song and, and may this song be um, a declaration for us. Can we just, let's just stand together and we'll, we'll pray and then we'll, we'll sing this. Lord, I, um, I just thank you for your word. There's so much in your word that challenges us. Lord, when we, when we read your word, we are often faced with reality. We, we think we see reality, but Lord, you're the one that created reality. And, and oftentimes, most of us, we get caught seeing our vision is blurred. We're not seeing what's really there because our vision is, is blurred with things that are, that are not from you. And I just pray, Lord, that for all of us in this room, that you would bring us into a place of just clarity where we would see the reality of who you are, that we'd be aware of the fact that you're inviting us into uh, a relationship with you. And then, Lord, help each of us. Uh, I just have a, a sense that there's some of us in this room that we, we don't see ourselves. We compare ourselves. We see what we, we think we should be, but we're not aware of just who you've created us to be, and we're not, a lot of us aren't comfortable with that. And I just pray, Lord, that you'd break that off in, in, in our hearts and our minds and our lives, that, that there'd be people today that would actually just get comfortable with who you've called them to be. You've created each person unique. Everybody has a unique DNA, a unique fingerprint, a unique gate. You've created us uniquely on purpose. Help us, Lord, to, to be comfortable with exactly who you've called us to be. David seemed to, to be okay with who you've called him to be, even though it was different than anybody around him. May we, this, in the same way, be comfortable with who you've called us to be and to walk in truth, Lord, to walk in freedom. We love you, God. We just pray that as we sing this song together that uh, faith would rise in us and that we would see with clarity. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.